0: hello lovelies well today we are getting back to magic invisibility magic to be precise and there is no one better to talk about invisibility magic in my book anyway than dr stephen skinner for those of you who do not yet know mr stephen skinner well how about i let him introduce himself
1: um i'm dr stephen skinner and uh I wrote a book on Greco-Egyptian magic because effectively nobody else had. Everybody else was writing about the, the tomb magic, the ancient Egyptian magic, and they seemed to skirt around the very fertile period of the first two or three centuries of the Christian era when the Greeks were in charge, but the Egyptians were still doing the magic as it used to be, and the Greeks wrote it out. And so I did my PhD in Classics uh, and had to learn ancient Greek, and I already knew Latin, so that wasn't too much of a problem. And I settled down and started reading these, and in the end, I read every single Greco-Egyptian papyri on magic that has ever been, um, yeah, that has ever been found, which is quite a few. But the bulk of them were found from one tomb. And that was the tomb of a magician. And the thing that was important about these particular papyri is they were the working manual of a working magician. Nowadays, everybody looks at magic as something that's distant past or a bit strange or good God, what's that? But in those days, it was a legitimate profession. And the guy who was buried in this tomb took all of his workbooks and notes with him. So you have hundreds and hundreds of formula. And with each formula you've got his notes. With this one make sure you wear the right phylactery. This one this this particular spirit's a bit ornery. So you've got to do this, you've got to do that. This one has been tested fifteen times and it works. So I thought, great, I am fed up with reading academic stuff about what people thought the these guys might have done. And finally I've got the actual notebooks of a magician
0: what did he do with those notebooks that belonged to an actual magician? <laughs> well, he collated them, compared them, untangled them, and he tested all those Greco-Egyptian spells and got them to work. Crazy, right? He told me stories about what happened when he did these spells about having stolen goods returned to him and about his use of an invisibility spell. So let's go right there, shall we, as that's the topic for today.
1: Then I looked at some of the the, the slightly wackier things like invisibility, and I thought, invisibility, crap, you can't be doing that. But the Greek word uh, was amorosis. And so I checked the real meaning, and the real meaning is darkening. And the technique is actually to darken your image as you're standing there so that people don't notice you. You're not invisible, if somebody walks right up to you and looks in your eye, they can see you, sure. So I tried this one out and I went and stood in a busy, um, uh, like Marks and Spencers place, in the middle of the aisle and I did it. And people stopped eye contacting me and one or two banged into me And uh, my wife, who was busy looking for me, walked straight past me, looked through me and kept walking. So, darkening, Amorosis, that works.
0: So he was not exactly invisible, but he was darkened, or he became unseeable, or out of sight. And that is super deep. I wonder how that spell actually worked. Did it dampen his charisma, perhaps? Or somehow bend the light around him in a way we don't understand yet? Does it work on the subject or the object? I don't know, and I didn't ask him. But I do know that somehow it worked within the laws of nature, even if we're yet to fully understand those laws, and or the tendencies within human nature. If Steven Skinner's wife had bumped into him, I wonder what would have happened. Would she have immediately seen him at the point and recognized him to be her ever-loving husband? Would it enable her to see things as they really are? Well, it is my experience that this is the case. Bumping into things makes things real. <laughs> really real sometimes. And it is generally the way people find out the truth, or at least the uncommon truth, or even the ugly truth. And that is by bumping into it. And when it comes to the ugly truth, people do not tend to take other people's words for things that sit uncomfortably within their worldview. And that is a pity, because the magic of invisibility or The darkening of the truth is one of the most prevalent kinds of magic in our world today, and it is used to hide ugly truth. Just like in, gosh, which episode? Episode 2, I think. When I talked about the similarities between stage magic and magic with a K, things are not always as they seem. Often, situations have spin applied to them, as in stories by the mainstream media. My pro tip on this is if the mainstream media is talking about it, you can bet the truth is somewhere in the opposite direction. Or when you run into those fact-checkers on Facebook or social media... (laughs) my pro tip there is go and research the thing that they say is false right away. Do not pass go, but do not go to Google to do that, okay? And then just see what you find, right? But I am beginning to understand that most of the time the truth is invisible because people have not yet bumped into it. You see, most of us go through life, for better or worse, without bumping into truth, and in a way that's a good thing, because often the truth is ugly. I will tell you two stories from my life where I bumped into the ugly truth. My father sold ladies lingerie at a department store when I was just a twinkle in his eye. And one day he was coming home from work and experienced the most distressing pain and visual interruptions and was immediately rushed to hospital. They quickly determined that his retinas were detaching and that immediate surgery was necessary to save his sight. Unfortunately for my father, it was the day before Christmas Eve and the only surgeon that could have done the surgery (laughs) decided that my father's vision was not as important as his Christmas Eve. And so he put my father on ice, returned a week later, and voila, my father was blind for the rest of his life. This happened when he was 21. My grandmother died when my mother was 16. She was suffering from hypertension, so the doctors at uh, the Dubbo Hospital decided they wanted to attempt an experimental surgery to cure it. They decided what would fix her up was to remove her nervous system. Now, look, I have no idea what that means, and I'm relying on the words of a a very distraught 16-year-old girl at the time, traumatized recollection of the understanding of the situation, right? But what I do know is that they got a second opinion from the same hospital, from the same department, who thought this surgery was a grand idea. My Nana never came home. So before I was even born, both sides of my family had bumped into ugly truths about the medical system. As a result, I learned that I would not trust the medical establishment unconditionally. I grew up with a great deal of skepticism towards it. Now, when I was in advertising in New York City, doing the sex in the city lifestyle, (laughs) Um, this was when everyone was getting those incredible home loans, right? Well, I was working for a mortgage broker, you know, the ones that you give (laughs) all of your most private personal financial information to. Well, your files were stacked carelessly on desks being dusted down by the cleaning staff, available to be whisked away, and no one would have even noticed. So perhaps that's why I'm skeptical of giving out my personal information after I bumped into that truth. But in most cases, I did not start out untrusting. <laughs> Oh, Lord, besides the medical stuff, I was really trusting. To trust is intrinsically human, and it all starts with the brain. Thanks to our large brains, humans are born physically premature and highly dependent on caretakers. Because of this, we enter the world hardwired, if you will, to make social connections. People say they don't have a lot of trust in others, but their behavior tells a very different story. In fact, in many ways, trust is our default position. We trust routinely, reflexively, and somewhat mindlessly across a broad range of situations. As clinical psychologist Doris Brothers put it, trust really occupies the foreground of conscious awareness. We are no more likely to ask ourselves how trusting we are at any given moment than to inquire if gravity is still keeping the planet in in orbit. Well, look, things seldom go catastrophically wrong when we trust. So it's not entirely irrational that we have a bias towards trust. But as we can see, it does not always work out, and more dangerously, it can obfuscate the deliberate, systematic, and institutionalized harming of people. And talking about harming of people, can we talk legal system? Jordan Peterson just had a guy on talking about family court. And I do also have legal horror stories. And my family have legal horror stories. And one of my dearest friends has a story of utter corruption that makes your blood boil. And don't even mention Julian Assange or I might pop a gasket. But here comes the problem. How many people have really bumped up against the legal system? or the medical system, or worked inside big finance, or seen inside media as I have done working in advertising, or Chance did working at Fox. Perhaps I'm just super unlucky, or lucky, who knows, right? Because I have a good, healthy cross-section of bumps. But what about you? What about the people around you? It seems to me that bumps are actually fairly spread out. Like you might know someone whose plastic surgeon botched their boobs over here. But why are they getting fake boobs anyway? Or someone who lost custody of their children over there. But you know, they are really a bit of another after all. Or someone who lost their business. But secretly you were jealous of their success anyway. So good thing they got brought down a peg. Kind of thing, right? And because of the sparseness and the distribution of these bumps, which is a natural thing and how super easy it is to rationalize them away and just write them off as their fault or bad luck which is a human nature thing there are simply not enough bumps around us for us to see the pattern but some people do some people see it or see the pattern and want to change it and they find the courage to speak up about the ugly truth and guess what happens their heads get whacked down like they were a mole in that friggin' whack-a-mole game, (laughs) all because people intrinsically trust. And because of that aspect of human nature, and because of the nature of the situation, it is a perfect setup for the use of magic. And this magic is the C-word. The term conspiracy theorist might be the biggest act of magic the world has ever known. And I love Mark Passio's definition.
2: It was actually introduced into common, everyday lexicon by the CIA, who introduced it as a psychological subversion tactic to deal with people who were questioning the Warren Commission report after the JFK assassination, who did not believe the ridiculousness of some of the things that were put forward in the Warren Commission report, such as a rifle round, would be able to survive after going through three people and reversing trajectories and shattering a wrist bone and survive almost perfectly intact, looking like they just pulled it out of the casing without firing it. And that was the only bullet that was used in the JFK assassination. And any person involved in any type of marksmanship, etc., would be able to tell you that no bullet goes through conditions like that and comes out looking like a brand new bullet, hence the term the magic bullet theory. The CIA needed to have the media and also people just hearing this term start to ridicule and treat people as if they were making things up. This is talked about endlessly. You can read Jim Mars book on the topic, the movie JFK was actually patterned on crossfire and many others that go into all these details and explains that, you know, shortly after the Warren commission, when people were really saying, no, Hey, this is impossible. This has to be a lie. No bullet comes out in this condition. We've done ballistic tests where you're not going to get a bullet going through that, that kind of a mass to come out on the other side in perfect condition, you know, it would be mangled. And then they invented that term to basically try to debunk and make people look bad or silly by calling them a theorist. And that's the whole point. It has now come to be associated with somebody who is saying something that isn't true. Isn't
0: that interesting? A conspiracy theorist is someone that's saying something that isn't true. Even, for example if they're a marksman and understand what bullets look like once they've gone through a wrist. Isn't it interesting that we don't believe these people who, through their jobs, have bumped into the truth of the situation? That's pretty strong magic.
2: A conspiracy theorist makes things up that aren't true. That's never what even the term originally was supposed to mean. It means you're trying to explain, you're putting forward a theory of people who worked together to perform some nefarious operation or crime. The word conspiracy is in the criminal code. The Canadian truck drivers right now are being arrested and charged with conspiracy. So what are the Canadian police conspiracy theorists? This is what has to be asked of family members and friends that bring up the term because they clearly don't understand the connotation of what the word conspiracy means or where the term conspiracy theorist to mean someone who makes something up that isn't true and then believes in it. Conspiracy theorist simply means it's someone trying to explain the machinations of two or more people who colluded to carry out an operation or crime in secret without letting other people know. And that happens every single solitary day of our lives. That's we're surrounded by conspiracies.
0: So I think we can all agree with Mark that we are, in fact surrounded by actual conspiracies, but the use of the term conspiracy theorist serves to darken the truth, to hide it, to make it unseeable. And it works because it relies on the sparseness of data, the intrinsic desire to trust, and our profound ability to rationalize in order that we make sense of the world within our experience. These things are both within the laws of nature and also in line with human nature. And that is, as Thomas Sheridan points out, a necessity of magic. So next time you run into a conspiracy theory, consider that although you have not bumped into it yourself, there's a possibility that it is The Ugly Truth. Hello lovelies, I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Heka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. This creates conundrum when we look at ancient Egypt, because ancient Egypt was the least material paradigm of all time. And so things that do not fit within the materialist paradigm are simply rejected as immaterial. so helpful to you